Hey, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Reminders Podcast. So today I'm welcoming on my friend Andrew. Uh, you can find him on Spotify as Andrew Jam Packed. As you can hear in the background here, this is his, one of his latest releases. It's called Tam Papo, I want to say. Probably pronouncing that wrong. It's from a release that is almost entirely in Japanese. It's a J-pop release. And he'll pronounce the title of the album later on in the episode. I'm not going to attempt. Um, so Andrew and I met through a lucid dreaming program that we both were a part of at some point in the last year, maybe a year and a half. And uh, we don't talk too, too much about our lucid dreaming practices, but that is the origin of our friendship. Uh, so I'm thinking we'll probably have Andrew on the podcast again and get more into the lucid dreaming side of our shared interests. Um, so this is a similar approach to last episode where I was doing a mindful review of the reissue of Good Morning, my recent release. And the original intention for this episode was for us to essentially do the same thing for one of Andrew's songs. Um, and then having me listen kind of blindly to a song of his that I had not heard before, giving some authentic feedback on the spot right after listening. And then he was going to do that for the latest release of mine, Wherever You Be. Um, he, he did listen to that track, but we didn't listen to it live together on this episode. I was going to put it in later so that you could listen along and then hear his reflections, but I also just released a music video for that song, so I figure if you're interested in taking a dive, deeper dive, you know, check out that video. Which is a pretty cool experiment that I did. It's a AI art-generated music video where I took each line lyrics as a prompt for this AI bot uh, called Midjourney, which is on my Discord server. Um, another reason to join the Discord server. Give it a give it a whirl. Um, so yeah, it, it just generates an image based on a prompt. So I use the the lyric line as a prompt for each image that you'll see in that, that video. So that's a pretty cool process. I think I'll probably do it again for another song here soon. Um, so yeah, it was great to listen to Andrew's music, um, give give my feedback on that, and he had some, some background info to share about the, the album. We didn't get too, too deep into actually reviewing the music itself. I gave my impressions and give some background info and we kind of just flow from there he gave a really cool perspective on my song when he had listened to it earlier um this is probably something i'm going to do sporadically i've got one more episode that i recorded in this style and i also have another episode that is more of a classic reminders heady hearty conversation style um i haven't decided which one i'll release next but i'll probably you know throw these in here and there as I mentioned in the last episode, this is a series that I had started on the channel with reviewing other people's music, and I think it'll be a cool opportunity to do deeper dives on my music, as well as giving other independent artists an opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about their work. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see more of these style episodes in the future. Now I guess I gotta do the obligatory spiel. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please give a like and a share. Uh, you'd be surprised how how far that goes in helping the algorithm to show this to more like-minded people. So, hate to ask, but it does help. So, 
Uh, thank you for listening, and let's get to the episode. So this is the first album that I've done um, entirely in Japanese, which, as soon as I say that, it's I immediately have to contradict myself and say it's it's not entirely in Japanese, but it's um, uh, but true to kind of the style of J-pop. There's just random bits in English, but it's mostly structurally in Japanese, and um, gotcha. except for one part, one song um, where there's a key change, and then it. And then that section is in English, and then it, the key changes back um, uh, from the relative minor back to the relative major um, to Japanese. Um, gotcha. So that was um, that was new, and the language itself became a vehicle for me to explore a certain kind of uh, certain kind of creativity um, relative to that aspect of myself, and so maybe piggybacking off that conversation of, um, you know, people who can play different instruments or do different aspects of production. Um, as someone who can speak a few different languages, I feel like I almost have like different sub personalities in each language and then, and kind of mm. some, um, interests or, um, it almost becomes a vehicle for accessing another part of my subconscious. Um, through that other language and um totally and through that through the emotion in that language which is not um which is not as conditioned by childhood like peer pressure and like kind of trying to fit in and be cool and be like everyone there's kind of especially with Japanese there's already this knowing like I am not one of them and I will never be seen or accepted as such and so I already kind of Come into it as um, as an other in in the knowing and embracing of the otherness. So there's anyway, there's that whole thing. Um, but um, emotional. Well, what? Oh yeah, go ahead. Before you get to that, I was just curious what your initial connection was to to Japanese. Like when when did you learn it? Like what what's your connection to that culture? So I started learning, um, and it's part of how I know uh, Lana from. Um, oh okay. Getting lucid with Lana. Um, yeah, she and I met in Tokyo in 2013. Um, gotcha. Back when she was living in Japan, we were both living in Japan at the same time. But um, but I initially, I initially started uh, studying Japanese in 1996. Um, so before, way before then, um, 10th grade in high school. Um, so. Right on. That was kind of my main uh, main language in high school, and and then I went on to study that and major in it in college, uh, along with linguistics. So I studied a lot of uh, studied like about ten languages um, in that time. Gotcha. And, cool. But Japanese was the main one, and I then also um, did a one year study abroad at the University of Tokyo, where uh, I got to experience just being a a student and being immersed in campus life and uh but at a fun time because in high school japanese japanese high school students are just super serious and very rigidly focused and understandably so because that's when they have to prepare for their their you know entrance exams uh to get into school and it's a very stressful time but then once they get into college they're kind of like cool i'm in and now i like whether I go to class, don't go to class, kind of doesn't matter as much. So that was, um, uh, at least that was kind of the mindset of a lot of my peers, uh, which was a great um, gateway or entryway for me to have um, 
kind of deeper, authentic, social relating that wasn't just like, all right, it's been nice talking to you for five minutes, but now I need to study for five hours. So, right. Um, that's how I got into Japanese. Um, I wasn't a, I wasn't like a anime cartoon person, or I wasn't into Pokemon or any of those things. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I was just like, kind of. Uh, surprised at the opportunity that my high school offered Japanese. Yeah, th- that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And something just in- instinct, instinctively, kind of um, intuitively, I just felt like I needed to study it. And at first, I didn't even like it. And then I just felt uh, by about the second semester, I felt like I should uh, continue. And then I just and I kind of became obsessed with the language. Um, cool. So and you said this was the first project that was entirely in Japanese, but have you done, have you sung in Japanese before this project? I've sung in Japanese um, in two other tracks. Uh, one okay. track was on the first uh, album I released in 2017. Um, and that, that song was entirely in Japanese. And that, that album was, um, was a little bit more of a, a polyglot quilt where I had a... Um, I had three tracks in French, um, mm. two in English, one in Portuguese, and one in Japanese, um, seven total. And then each one was entirely in that language. And gotcha. That was just that was just kind of the the rules of that album. But this one, I said, um, this is more like a J-pop album, and so more okay. true to the form of J-pop. I'll just wander into English whenever I want to. And then gotcha. come back out. Yeah. Cool. So I interrupted you earlier. You were about to get into the emotional component oh. of, um, do you remember what you were going to say? Yeah. Um, okay. So, and I guess the emotional component of it um, is perhaps poignant because it was inspired by, uh, well, one of, one of the tracks that I covered, I also for the first time did, a, um, did covers on this album. I released two covers. Oh, okay. One is a cover of a Japanese song, um, and you know, so that was that was an entire cover. The other cover was a cover of a Death Cab for Cutie song that I translated into Japanese. Nice as an experiment, and that's the one that that I wanted to play um, in this session. Okay, um, cool, sweet. We, well, you want to do that now? So we can do that now, and just uh, yeah, I'll just sounds um, like a good segue. Finish um, just answering that question. So emotionally. Um, I, the, the theme, so this album is called Nageki, which means uh, grief or loss. And so this is kind of a, I guess I could say a breakup album or a, um, a kind of integration of uh, grief and loss and that whole kind of the shadow side to, um, to that and the frustration and, and uh, the longing and the needing and ultimately the desire to be independent and to be okay with being alone. Um, and this came after one of the most kind of, uh, life changing and, um, depth informing, um, relationships, which was with a, um, someone of Japanese heritage. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's what art's all about, right, is a vehicle for expressing those types of 
emotions that we may not otherwise have words or expression for. So it's just so many layers here. The fact that it's in a language that I don't understand, you know, and that it's just the musical language, you know, that universal language. Cool. Yeah, let's dive in, man. Cool. So um, I started a uh, series on this channel. I don't even remember when, maybe last year, um, where I was doing reviews of music. They weren't really like, um, what do they call that? React videos. They're, you know, it wasn't like first time reactions, right. but songs that I enjoyed. And I was kind of taking a meditative, critical listen on these tracks. So I thought it was really cool that you hit me up about doing this because I was recently thinking that I wanted to bring that aspect into the podcast a little bit more. Awesome. Yeah. And to, to have some like mindful listening. So if you're cool with it, I'm going to just lead us in a real brief centering practice and then I'm going to press play and we'll dive on in. All right. Let's do it. Cool. So I got my little Tibetan singing bowl here. If you can hear that. But let's just take a moment to come back to the breath, not forcing, just noticing our natural pattern of inhale and exhale. Just taking a moment to let all the energy flying around our being inside and outside, just to notice what is not to be caught up in anything in particular to come back to the simplicity of being and breathing. And let's melt into some music.
Dude, that was really sweet. Um, definitely lifted my spirit in a certain sense of the phrase. Um, you know, this is a style that I'm really not familiar with. So I don't know how many intelligent things I have to say about like the specifics, you know? I don't I don't speak the language of that style, let alone the the actual language of <laughs> Japanese either. Um, but I, I've truly enjoyed it. I my impressions were the things that caught my attention. Um, like you said, coming in and out of English every now and again, of course that did catch my attention, you know? Um, and I and it was like, okay, now I have some lyrical context. I think the first line that I heard was um, something closer. Yeah, I need you the, yeah, that kind of iconic line from... Um the original Death Cab for Cutie song, Transatlanticism, that I need you so much closer. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. I, at first, I was wondering if that was the song. Yeah. Well, which I um, I guess I was thinking by, by putting this song into Japanese, it would seem appropriate geographically to change the title to Trans-Pacificism. Um, I see. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got it. Got yeah. it. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, so that that definitely caught my attention and then it went back into Japanese and then you came back into English and drew uh, threw a f bomb there for yes. a second. I was like, "Okay. All right. Interesting." <laughs> so that definitely caught my attention. Um also yeah, the I, first I explicit track I released. But yeah, go ahead. There you go. Was that in the the Death Cab? No, that was a okay. original. That was a just a new Okay. Little ad ad lib, little ad. Got it. Um, yeah, which I think was a rule. I don't know if you've read what is recommended to do and not do when you do a cover, but they had said like we recommend not changing the lyrics, and so I didn't. But then I was like, mm. well, but I'm. First of all, it's going into Japanese, and then so I'm not. I didn't really change the lyrics as much as just add some extra ones. So, I don't know. At a certain point, it it kind of strays from being a cover and being almost more like a track inspired by but yeah I still, true i still released it as a cover because it was had so much content from the original that it just seemed right you know well that that's that was another question i was going to ask is uh musically how much is from the original is the music 
similar? Okay. Because it seemed like a different melody. It's a very, yeah, it's a different melody. Different chords. Okay. Different chords. Different Got key. it. Um, musically very different. It's super cool. Yeah, I, I love those types of covers that it's essentially just the lyrics. Just, just using the lyrics in a whole different context. And of course, putting it into Japanese is like, I mean... People wouldn't even know it's <laughs> right. a cover, you know. <laughs> if they don't speak Japanese, they wouldn't even know. So I think that's super cool. Um, so there was there was certain moments where there would be like I don't even know what to call this, which makes me seem like an ignorant uh, producer. But the uh, da, 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 where it would just like break up your voice and repeat it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a term for that? Like arpeggiate, kind of. Um, Is that what of, it was? I don't know if it's quite an arpeggiation, but yeah, but. Um, that that was where we'll just repeat a, a, a syllable or something like yeah. uh like glitch it out or something like that the um yeah, i thought that was really that kind of um that thing yep got it um, yeah so I, I was just curious was were those that type of like elements were those your ideas ideas in this in the production sessions or how much of I'm just so curious how much of these ideas were yours versus the producer you worked with when it comes to those like cool little mix elements. He comes up with a lot of them, which is part of why I really enjoyed working with him and will continue to do so. Now that I'm um, primarily in Austin, I'm going to be looking for another local engineer to work with for that just kind of mm -hmm. final engineering piece. But I'm still going to work with this producer, um, Drew Dugan of uh, Bella Beats. I'm still going to work with him. Cool. on some of the arrangement and then some of his, just the way that he um, does percussion and, and uh, kind of breaks breaks up sound. Um, but some, sometimes I'll, I don't know if it's like 75, 25. I'd like to say it's about 75 him, 25 me, of um, where, you know, we'll kind of get to a section and I'll, I'll hear like, can you, yeah, can you break this up or can you, you know, take some like, lower octave um you know um uh uh what is that oh god what is that plugin called echo boy or um you know when you it's that thing they do kind of a lot in the deep house genre where they will take the original vocal and then they'll um change the formant they'll they'll maybe drop okay. an octave and then change the formant so it actually sounds like it was sung by someone in a different register and to make it. it sound kind of haunted or spooky. Um, got you, got so, you. Um, but that that was an interesting, it's interesting you picked up on that one because I think that was Drew, the producer who um, who thought to do that on that section. And then I said to him, well, it's interesting you chose this word to do that on because that word was footstep. And it almost seems like he took the word footstep mm. and made it into footsteps. Yeah. Which, was meaningful too because Japanese often doesn't pluralize nouns. They're, they just will just say a noun and then you're meant to just know that it's plural or not plural. They don't grammatically pluralize things. So the fact that he, he did that seemed to musically pluralize the noun. Got cool. you. That's really cool. That's cool context. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, and just loved the the swelling uh, synthesizers and the way the beat, the, the percussive beat would come in and out. That definitely added a really cool um, rhythmic dynamic. And uh, the synthesizers I noticed were were pretty bright. I don't know if that's a kind of, um, you, did you call it J-pop? Yeah, J-pop, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's just kind of 
a usual J-pop thing. Um, you know, you just never know with with synthesizers. Sometimes you'll get some some dark, heavy, you know, thick. But these were very bright, very in the upper register, uh, which maybe led to more of that elevated feeling that I was getting at. So oh, I thought that was that was something that stood out to me. Um, but yeah, I love it. That was that was really cool, man. Definitely wow. makes me uh, curious and intrigued to hear the rest of the the album for sure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah for do. sure. Um, for well, sure. he, uh, the producer didn't, as far as I know, he didn't actually produce the songs from a extensive knowledge or fandom of J-pop. I think he just, okay. that's kind of just his, that's kind of his style. Um, and or, but I, I think he sometimes kind of channels the artists that he's, you know, producing for. Sure. Um, and uh, so he didn't, as far as I know, deliberately write a typical j-pop arrangement but it, mm -hmm. it fits it, it i was like well this this we can j-pop this this feels like j-popable and indeed in, in general j-pop is um is more bright and um and kind of you know soaring and uplifting and um gotcha. it's usually more so k-pop the korean pop music that that has more um, stylistic uh, shifts within the track that'll get darker and then mm -hmm. there'll be a rap section and then hip-hop and then something classical and then R&B and then, you know, that, that'll... K-pop does more um, kind of dynamic shifts within the track whereas J-pop will usually stay more um, more kind of consistently bright or within whatever tone is coming through, which was also kind of part of the... Um, I guess the process of writing a, a track about about loss or about grief because that song I don't know if you if you know the original Transatlanticism. Um, I've heard it. I'm not super super familiar. Okay, um, but that song I think is about is about um. What are you doing? The cat is like literally behind the computer trying to chew on chords. Um, classic. Uh, <laughs> classic. Uh, classic kitty. Classic cat shenanigans um yeah. it's about um <clears throat> the original track is about um i think is about kind of a metaphor for long distance relationship as this feeling of you know a land mass being broken up into two islands by some torrential downpour which in and of itself water is very kind of evocative of you know the fluidic nature of emotion and and or sadness or heaviness or someone's baggage that gets into the relationship. And, um, and I think he said the, the original songwriter said he wrote that at a time when he was in a relationship, but also on tour and very far apart from his, um, his partner, which ultimately led to the, the ending of the relationship. And, um, and, uh, so I thought it would, would be interesting to take something that in the original, I think was pretty somber and, in this kind of very driving, solemn beat that was just very um, moving when you kind of need to connect with that and have a catharsis. But I was like, okay, well, what's it going to feel like to put that or at least put the emotion of that into the vocals, but against a kind of more bright, cheery EDM background? And how can I kind of mix the two? And, yeah. Um, and let which in one some people might say that creates cognitive dissonance or or it's not in sync but um i think it's also kind of like um 
I don't know. It's a few things. It could be like the, um, you know, how we we attempt to frame difficult things in a positive light, even when it's uh, like, because I think at the time that I went through this breakup, I had to work a lot. I was really busy with working and I had to work in a way where I couldn't really, you know, and, and normally you can't really bring hardships into a, a, um, yeah. a conversation. So I was like, um, how do I like, and yet people would ask, like, how are you doing? And I'd be like, this, this crazy thing happened, but it's all good. And I'm learning a lot. And how are you? And, and, mm. and, uh, so I guess it kind of carries that sense of, um, of, um, of kind of that, like s- smiling through the trenches. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that description. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, you know, that juxtaposition can be a cool artistic thing. But I didn't have any real substance behind why that is. But the way you just described it, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, to your point, I think a lot of times people... How should I frame this? I guess unless you've gone through a similar situation of uh, flipping the script, so to speak, on a negative situation where you have, you know, a... You've grounded yourself into you know, finding the silver lining, so to speak, you know, or finding uh, a way that this is helping your growth. You know, if if people are are not connected to that growth mindset, then they just think, oh, you know, shitty things happen. That sucks, you know, but like if we can have that attitude of gratitude, you know, that, yeah, this this does suck, but like I am grateful that I'm growing through it, you know, some people don't understand that if that if they're not in that vibe. But I mean, I I truly appreciate that. I try to be in that vibe. I'm not always, obviously, but you know, how can we always be, you know, in the Zen mindset of constantly taking the lessons and, you know, turning the the um what's that alchemy thing the the lead in, mm, you know, gold. the lead into gold. Yeah, but. When we can, it's it's uh that's what it's about really, and it's it's actually a really funny coincidence and synchronicity that you just shared that story. Wow. Um, the context of the song that I was going to share with you is this album Solati, and I see it as somewhat of a loose conceptual album. It's not like a rock opera, you know what I mean? There's not like a story that's really lyrically being portrayed but i have sort of envisioned it as being like a from sunrise to sunset Mm. it's kind of the trajectory of the album and so the first song is called good morning but morning is spelled with a u like like good grief oh i was yeah okay as i listened to that track a couple few times on the way in my drive back um home and <clears throat> and um and you're like does this guy just not know how to spell or no. <laughs> does well, he think he's british what are we doing here yeah, right i didn't even i didn't even notice the, i didn't it's funny it's cool okay I mean, it's cool that i didn't even notice that because i got to just um experience the track i just wanted i wanted to relate that because it's really kind of cool that this album of yours is like a processing of grief would you say that's throughout the whole album or just that particular song whole album yeah okay cool Every, cool i mean except for one track which um 
maybe that's why my cat keeps jumping in and out of the camera, is that the second track in the album is called um, Lucid, uh, Awoken. Well, the, there's a word lucid in there in English, and then Nickel Nil Kirare, Woken Up by My Lucid Cat. Um, nice. And, um, and so in one sense, that song is about, um, I guess on the surface, that song is just kind of about uh, this time when when um when my cat was going through some health issues and she was waking me up multiple times at night and uh, and I had to feed her and do different things and how it but it was kind of useful for me then accessing different dream states I would wake up feed her and then go back to sleep and have all these interesting kind of mm. dreams and um, cool but then it also seemed to kind of pair well with with the grief album because that's when I started developing kind of a sleep disorder um, and having some trouble sleeping from like just, uh, you know, kind of going through the day doing the status quo and then like emotions coming up at night being like, oh, you think you're going to sleep? How about you feel a bunch of things instead? Mm. Um, so it, it it fit in that sense. But yes, otherwise, kind of all the, um, the tracks gotcha. are really decidedly about uh, grief in, in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's really cool. And it's, it's important to have expression in that way. I did a EP that I released, I believe in January of this year, maybe February. And that was kind of my version of a grief collection. Um, I had a, a friend of, of mine, uh, passed last September. So it's been just over a year and her name was Aaron. I released this collection called Airing Out and it was just that the title track of it was it was something that I had already started musically but the lyrics I could never come up with anything I just had no flow with it and then after she passed it was just like that was that was the template for me to express whatever it was I needed to express so yeah I definitely I definitely feel that and I I love you know this is kind of an old school thing but I love albums and EPs being sort of conceptual in that in that way to have some sort of theme that connects these songs otherwise you know just release a bunch of singles you know which is what a lot of artists do these days but i'm i'm old school i like listening to records and you know going on a journey with with the musicians and you know in a way that you 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 can't really do that in a two to four minute song you know but to be able to go through multiple emotions you know kind of expressing one sort of theme or, or journey you know one adventure of an album i just i love that so yeah like i was saying the the sola t album is really just like a, a sunny album it's just like this sunrise to sunset type of type of deal so the whole thing isn't about grief per se but the first song the reason why i called it good morning with a U, uh i mean in general i've dealt with a lot of grief in my life and so mm-hmm. it was sort of like a song about the lessons that i've learned going through that and also sort of the idea of mourning yesterday mm. in general like it's it's the the sunrise song it's about just letting the past be the past and and not in a uh, just purely conceptual way but like really emotionally like mourning the past so that we can be present for today and that's just kind of that whole thing and then smiling prayer the track that that you listen to 
um, that's track two of the album, and it's the lyrics of it are almost a hundred percent an adaptation of a morning mantra that I was reciting every morning at the time. And so anyway, I had this vision of this album sort of being like a uh, morning routine soundtrack. And um, so I've been thinking of ways of trying to uh, share that with people. And I, I decided to create an, an accountability group on my Discord server. Do you, do you mess with Discord at all? Do you know what that is? I've heard of it, but I don't, um, I don't okay. have any, anything. Yeah. Else. Yeah. It's basically just like Slack. Yeah. It's just like a, you know, platform for creating your own little micro social medias. Oh, um, yeah. Which I honestly really appreciate. I'm on a few different discord servers and decided to create my own cause why not? It's free. <laughs> you know? Um, and I just feel like, Social media is, I mean, it's a tired conversation, but, you know, it's its something that I feel so many people are attached to in unhealthy ways. And I would love to see, like, more intentional community happen on an online space, you know. So that's part of my attempt to create that and creating it through, you know, putting out content about the music and just sort of being like, yo, you know, I've struggled with a morning routine for so long, but it's such a um, grounding way of starting the day. And I just, you know, I'm trying to create that accountability for myself in that way, morning and evening, wake up and wind down routines. You know what I mean? Do you have a pretty solid morning and or evening routine? Um, yes. And yeah? uh, no. And and um and actually, if, if I may just respond to what, what you said uh, to kind of piggyback off of um, an earlier comment about uh, how you like and appreciate albums that are oh, yeah. like conceptual albums um, versus ones that otherwise feel like the social media equivalent of a photo dump. When someone just mm. say like, summer photo dump, and they just put a bunch of random photos of like what they did in the month of August. And you're like, cool. August photos, which is, um, which is a lot of what kind of social media often is. It's just like random thoughts and musings and moments and totally you know, kind of Dis single. disjointed, it's disjointed. And, uh, and I think that's why, you know, we kind of developed this kind of hungry ghost sim syndrome on social media is that we're just constantly just chasing these disjointed moments. Whereas I think the gift of an album of a conceptual album or of a movie you know, a longer format media is that someone gets the satisfaction of being taken through an experience and having their own experience and, you know, to a fullest, you know, a full enough extent in response to that, that they then feel like they can kind of come back to themselves and not just keep seeking out the next disjointed, you know, media dump. Um, right. And, yeah. I love that. I, I really do. And I, not to cut you off. Yeah. Um, I, and I feel like the symptom and result of us kind of incessantly consuming this, you know, buffet of disjointed information is that, you know, it leads to a scattered mind, yes. you know, and so many people are talking about ADHD and stuff like that now. And, you know, I just, that's, that's part of the almost countercultural way that I want to engage with 
my existence <laughs> is to, you know, prioritize, like you said, long form. I mean, even making a podcast, you know, I mean, that's, it's not uncommon for people to listen to podcasts, but it's kind of slightly countercultural when you compare it to, you TikTok. know, just flip it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So to actually listen to one thing for, you know, five minutes, let alone 50 minutes, you know, is, is an ask, but I, that's what I enjoy. You know, I trying to get back into like actually enjoying like long form text, you know, mm. reading books. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I could go on and on about all that. But uh. Well, and then in answer to your question, which maybe is part of the ADHD that I didn't answer your question, but, you know. It's, it's no, I'm glad you brought it back to that, yeah. Uh, having a morning or evening ritual. Um, mm -hmm. I I feel like the, the morning ritual is so much, is very much a kind of um, cleansing ritual to really um, clean away what feels like the debris from... Uh, you know, the the remnants of yesterday, and maybe that's mine, maybe it's just, like, how I am in the world, where I'm, like, I'll kind of, like, clean something um, physically, and then afterward be, like, oh, now I, now I have space to have feelings about it, now that I've, like, cleansed it out of my system, but um, I feel like the morning mm -hmm. ritual is kind of about cleaning and just doing uh, different, you know, um, uh, teas or beverages or supplements that kind of initiate a cleaning process along with shower and bathing and and vacuuming and sweeping and just kind of kind of really really physically cleaning which in some ways I feel like doesn't make me feel as grounded as I would like to feel emotionally I feel like like I have a sense of accomplishment from it but then sometimes I it I feel a little bit too hyped up from it and think oh, I should do something a little bit more I should add something a little bit more chill in there. Hmm. Um, whereas the evening rituals usually, um, now it's just been making tea and sitting down and reading and I may or may not have a, a bath. Um, but uh, but it, it's nice to have, um, there's a time when I was doing, I was swimming in the evening and then shower, bathrobe, hot tea, sit and read, and then go to bed. And that was like this nice, Routine and then the pool got beautiful, gross, and, and like it's this neon green algae color. And I'm like, all right, that's out, so <laughs> probably not safe. Um, yeah, not as appetizing. <laughs> it's cool to look at, like, it would make you know for an interesting photo dump, but no, yeah, right, swimming. Um, got you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so but I feel like that's what life is always asking us to do is to like keep changing it up, but finding making new. Uh, keeping routines, like kind of somehow embracing the paradox of routine and novelty. Yes. By continually adhering to routines or something that feels like a routine or has that quality of, of what an evening routine or a morning routine should feel like with diff different elements in it. So Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're speaking my language for sure. Because cool. I've really struggled for, I don't know, the last five or more years to like really stabilize a morning routine in particular the evening. I'll get to that once I stabilize the morning routine. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, and I, I'm pretty, I'm in a good space with it now. I've got a, a simple thing that I do, you know, or simple sequence of things in the morning. Um, but I've tried so many different things. I think that part of what happened was me overwhelming myself with having too long or too rigid of a routine. And then for a while, what I did was um, 
So I wrote down a bunch of different things that I could do in the morning, ripped them up into little pieces, put them in a cup. And then in the morning, I would just pick three things out of the cup. Oh, so that, cool. yeah, that was my attempt to sort of satisfy my need for novelty and spontaneity. And then all, but also doing, you know, something, having some sort of routine. And I liked that. I didn't stick with it too, too long. But I might go back to that, you know, do what I'm doing now and then maybe pick one or two things out of the morning routine cup or whatever. But to your point, like, yeah, I don't I don't think that I'm ever going to be in a spot where I'm, I'm doing the same exact thing day in, day out. You know, that wouldn't work with my personality. It's you not know? the I'm, artist's soul, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a Sagittarius son, too. Like, I, I feed off of that sort of, like, novelty type of energy. Um and whatever. So yeah, different seasons of life, you know, but I just, I, I just, I do recognize how beneficial it is to have some sort of non-negotiable, like I, I, I need to do this for my energy. I need to get myself grounded. Even if that looks different, if it's a different practice every day, something to ground myself. But yeah, I, I like what you said, you know, just kind of cleaning up from, from yesterday, you know, that's sort of that good morning sort of uh, feel that I was getting at. Just like clearing, clearing out the past, but like with a sunny, you know, disposition or whatnot. And I think that's something I got kind of artistically or stylistically um, from that, the track that I listened to a couple times, um, Smiling Prayers, I would have called. Um, yeah. Was that, um, that sense of like... Um, searching for and cultivating coherence within the kind of splintered multiple timelines of self that are coming together to become this cohesive focus in the in the morning or in the day and how they sometimes it they're we're kind of pulled or tethered in, in one way or another and then and if anything when emotion when i would hear and feel emotion and some some really beautiful melodic parts come through it would bring in this then greater coherence and it seemed like the other parts then came in to support that emotion and then um and then it would kind of wander a bit and that was uh it was awesome it was awesome to listen to as i was driving through traffic which it, it felt kind of like an, a meaningful soundtrack to traffic it was like three lanes of cars just always like like i want to turn left and i'm going to go right to go left and then here and then there and then and then get in the left lane to then get back in this lane and and um and uh and in the moment you're like why am i in the left lane if i need to go straight but then it makes sense after why you need it to be in the left lane to yeah couple cars and then get straight again so um it seemed like a perfect soundtrack at that time i love that that's such a cool reflection on that even if it was an accident, which it was, sounds like it was a beautiful accent. <laughs> the fact that it gave you that imagery and this idea of like timelines, I just, I love that. Um, but so what happened with that particular track is that I had the original version, right, that I released in 2020. And then last year I recorded drums myself on this drum kit behind me. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, my buddy Curtis played some really mean bass guitar and we like we had a whole production session of him doing the bass guitar like going section by section just getting these really cool lines from him um and then i came to mix it earlier this year and the bass and drums had been deleted so and i have no idea how i did that like somehow they must have been on a different session that i had you know 
gotten rid of unused files in a different session, but I don't know how that how that would happen. Anyway, oh. very frustrating. Yeah. So what I ended up doing, thankfully, I had a a bounced MP3 of the mix of the rough rough demo of the rhythm section being on there, but I wanted to replace the lead vocal too. I had a couple lyrical changes, and also I just I wanted to have a more clear vocal because that was some of the feedback that I was getting from the Sola uh, EP. It was like, dude, the the trippy stuff on your vocal is like cool and everything, but we can't hear what you're saying. We can't tell what you're saying. I was like, okay, I mean, partially I don't care, you know, because it's not so much about the lyrics. It's more just like I'm more of just like the music emotion type of artist. It's not so much about the message, um, but it is at the same time. And people don't read lyrics. You know, I'm, I'm not selling vinyl records with long, big sleeves of lyrics for people to follow along. So, like, I probably should, you know, whatever. So I, I've taken that feedback. I'm like, OK, maybe I should clarify the vocal a little bit more. Um, anyway, so what I ended up having to do was using that MP3 as the foundation bass track of this recording. So it still had those old vocals on it. So if you were hearing like discrepancies between that, that's probably why that was, is there was a fresh new vocal in the center. And then there's also in the background, the old vocals, which like you said, it ended up being a sort of cool effect, not intentional, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> worked with what I had on that. I didn't want to have to re-record, you know, the bass and everything. I could have redone the drums, but I didn't want to have to get Curtis back in the studio and recreate the magic that we had done. So. I think it worked out. <laughs> it, it did. I mean, um, and I think that's kind of the, I, you know, I really applaud your attitude on that. And, and I know firsthand the frustration of losing something that you recorded that happened with yeah. magic. And, <clears throat> and there's, um, there can be some ways in Pro Tools to re- um, reclaim things that you thought you lost. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's like session backup files and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah but like the actual true. audio, if the audio tracks get deleted, right. you're out of luck. You're out of luck. Yeah. Um, but then I, I'd like to think that what I'm hearing in your attitude is, is that kind of bigger picture sense of um, it ultimately just all being about an exploration of the creative process more than, you know, the like, my precious like track yeah. it's mm -hmm. like it's all just a you know an exploration of what is it to be a creative person and then to have a, a limit imposed on you by something external out of your control that you then have to respond to and think on your feet and and do something you know innovative with to then you know come up with some kind of creative finished product and you achieve that so totally totally and I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that i've that's something i've been thinking about lately is the benefit of limitation because a lot of times we think oh you know we want to be limitless but without limit we don't have experience you know what i mean we we do need some sort of confines to work within and specifically in the domain of production think about 40 50 years ago you know when they're working on eight tracks you would have to bounce all the drums into one track, maybe the drums and the bass, all the vocals, you know, maybe pair the guitar and the piano or something like that. And then you mix those pairings, those subgroups. So I've been thinking about maybe trying that out in production, literally mixing the whole rhythm section together and then being committed to that, working with that rather than endlessly tweaking it and everything like that, you know what I mean? Just, you know, 
create some arbitrary limitations yeah. on myself to see if it helps the creative process. I don't know. I, you know? I, yeah, that's, um, well, especially if you, uh, how to put it? I think it's especially if it's something that you are tasked to do for yourself. I think it's, it's different if someone else brings you a track and they say, hey, I need you to mix all these different parts. And you're like, okay, that's just what I have to do. But yeah. if you're making your own track, and you intend and set out from the beginning to mix certain components of it and then or, or combine certain components of it and then mix them as one then you just you just know that that's what you're doing and and um and you'll just see what comes from it exactly and sometimes that's what the adhd mind needs more so than thinking i have a hundred different wabbits to chase you can just yep. be like no, i only have eight wabbits that or eight you know, twin flame paired wabbits. Um, so. Yeah, totally. Well, speaking of limitations, yes, Zoom's about to kick I'm, us off here. Yes. So uh, thank you so much for thank doing this, you. man. I really, truly appreciate it. We could definitely do this again and Let's, get deeper into the music and the dream world and a bunch of different things. So. I would love to. Let's please. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Thank All right. Thanks, man. Oh, get dog, stay,